2: We talk a great deal about the soul here. And it's not so that you can have some kind of anatomical picture of what the Christian looks like so much. is that you understand that that's where the real battle takes place. Everything that God speaks to in terms of His commands and what He wants the Christian to express, we struggle with in the soul, not in the spirit. For you are complete... He says you are complete, and you say, well, if I'm complete, why is this struggle taking place in my mind? Why am I having such a fight in my emotions? Why is it that my will seems to want to shift in the wrong direction? And I'll tell you, because in the soul, you're not complete. You're complete in the spirit, but you're not complete in the soul. The soul is absolutely a vacuum, and it must be ruled. It must be ruled. And you, Christian, have within you the life to rule it. You have within you the Christ who created you to be ruled, created the soul to be ruled. So everything that God commands of you, everything that God says this is what the Christian is to be and what the Christian looks like, He puts forth through your soul out of your spirit because His Spirit is in in union with you, at the center of you, of who you are. You are with Christ. You are in Christ. You choose what will rule the soul, whether it will be the flesh, the world, the enemy or it will be the Christ within. That's your choice. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, the only Lord. And you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your mind and heart, with your entire being, and with all your might. You know what he's speaking of there? He's speaking of the soul. Says with all your might. You know what that means? There must be a determination. You see. That determination is your will saying, it doesn't matter what the world tells me, it doesn't matter what life throws me, it doesn't matter what situations and circumstances tell me, it doesn't matter what the world calls reality, it doesn't matter what I go through in this body, I am determined that Christ and Christ alone will be my life, not only in my spirit, but in my mind and in my will and in my emotions and everything that I do and everything that I call life, I am determined that Christ shall be at the center of it. I want to read you a little story. A man who had been the only child in his family told a personal story, though he was quite suicidal at the time he told it. It seems that his father and mother had loved and provided for him all his life. His father was very proud of him, so the son quite often found himself the object of praise. And as the father grew old, it fell upon the son to be the caregiver. So he quit his job and spent the next six months caring for his father. All who knew of the son's dutiful devotion were overwhelmed by his loyalty and care. But as he related the story, he began to weep and explain his situation. I only served my father for the inheritance, I knew that he was dying and I wanted to make sure that everything was given to me. I returned to my father's side for gain. My father loved me, was proud of me, and always provided for me. And his reward in his last days was a son who cared more for his inheritance than for him. I have known men who have served their fathers while knowing that there would be no inheritance. They served out of love. But I served out of greed. So many are serving God only for the inheritance that will be theirs. If there were no inheritance, no heaven, no health, and no wealth, would we still desire to serve Him? Would we serve from a love as a response to His greatness and His faithfulness? See, motives reveal what we worship. They will show us to either be self-centered or Christ-centered. The motive that this young man reveals is natural for the man who believes that he is his own provision. He did not even trust his father's love because of his own self-centeredness. He assumed that his father would treat him and act toward him with the same selfishness that he indulged. Therefore, he was not free to love his father in the same way his father loved him. He missed the greater reward of sharing the last days of his father's life and love because he was focused on himself. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the carnal Christian. It's a picture of the carnal Christian who, while have received Christ as Savior, have never trusted him to be their life. Therefore, they only seek what benefits them and miss the greater reward of Christ himself. This brings me to First Thessalonians chapter 2. And today we'll be reading through verses 3 through 6, so read along with me, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. For our appeal in preaching does not originate from delusion or error or in purpose or motive, nor in fraud or deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the glad tidings, the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts, expecting them to be approved. For as you well know, we never resorted either to words of flattery, or to any cloak to conceal greedy motives or pretext for gain, as God is our witness." Nor did we seek to extract praise and honor and glory from men, either from you or from anyone else, though we might have asserted our authority, stood on our dignity and claimed honor as apostles, special missionaries of Christ the Messiah. You know, Paul was declaring that his message was born out of the heart of the Father, not out of the flesh of man. That his purpose was to bring forth and present Christ. That it was based in truth. And in in this verse, Paul testifies giving a witness to the origin of his message. It is in contrast to the rule of the self-centered, to the motives of the people that the self rules in. It's in contrast to the man who always has his own selfish desires at the forefront. There is no in-between, and where he describes the message and the ministry that he gave forth, he also describes the ministry of the self-centered that originates from delusion or error or impure purpose or motive or fraud or deceit. You see, if a minister is motivated by anything other than the Spirit of God, he's deceiving you. If the motivation is anything other than Christ, he is self-centered. Now, you know, that's a harsh statement to make as a minister. But you know what? That's the reality of it. If the reward is not Christ and Christ alone, if it's the big church, if it's even the number of people that you have attending, or the number of lives that you touched, it's impure and it's selfish. You see, here's the reality of it. That as a minister, I am nothing but a vessel of God. He doesn't need me, He wants me. He doesn't have to have me, He lets me participate in what He does. It is not my qualifications that are necessary to this, it is His life and His purpose. And if I come before you with any other desire in my heart, then I miss out on the truth of the very message that I proclaim. Jesus is enough. That Jesus is our reward. That He is our life. The word error is defined as a wandering from the path. It's descriptive of a deception that begins in one place and ends in another. Paul says, we're not preaching to lead you astray. Paul was surrendered to the intentions of Christ for the people of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. His, speaking of Christ... His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, His consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, that is, the church. That it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at a really mature manhood, the completeness of personality which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and the completeness found in Him. So then, we may no longer be children... Toss like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine the prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery in inventing errors to mislead. See, Paul is combating. He's combating deception. He's combating a word to devalue the message that he brought to the Thessalonians. A message that they embraced. The gospel that literally became their life and their life's expression. And the enemy feels the only way to invalidate the message because of the proofs that these people have put forth in yielding their lives to the truth within. Because of these proofs, he feels like the way to invalidate the message would be to attack the character of the messenger. So what the enemy does through whatever way he he can, is he comes forward and he accuses the motives of the one who brought the message. He accuses him of being self-centered, of having selfish motives and impure motives of having some way of twisting or or desiring to twist people around himself and manipulate him. And you see in the accusation the heart of the enemy. You see in the accusation the truth of the accuser. What He would do with your life. Many times, when you are listening to that voice within you that is accusing you, telling you that you are hopeless, telling you that you are are bereft of the love of Christ, telling you that you have been separated, telling you that there is no place for you, telling you that you are finished, that you can't make it, that you can't cut it, going on and on in your ear, you need to understand that He is giving testimony of Himself. That is who Satan is. It's not who you are. When you hear those voices, you need to go back to the Word of God. You need to embrace the truth of what Christ says about you and His love for you. You need to cleanse your soul with the purity of truth. For it's what you embrace in your mind, will, and emotions that becomes your behavior and the track or the plane on which you live life. That's why there is so much pain in the Christian community. They have not understood this. They have not understood that they literally do have to choose. That they literally do have to determine. Paul says, my determined purpose. He doesn't say, I have told God that I want to be a good Christian and I'm just waiting around for Him to make it happen. Then all the while, I'm hoping that He blesses all the things that I find most attractive, which are right here upon the earth. They're whatever feeds my flesh and whatever makes me feel significant. They're whatever gives me identity upon the planet. But they have absolutely nothing to do with who you are in Christ. The accuser, once again, pulls the people of God away in the soul. Because they don't know, they don't understand, or they ignore that they have to choose that they have to determine. Paul is combating the effort to deceive the Thessalonians. In the verses I just read, Paul outlines how the Christian avoids deception and error, that we might attain a oneness in faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God. The Amplified Translation actually talks of a completeness of personality which is based in the soul, a completeness found in Him. As I said before, In the soul, we need to be complete. We are complete in the Spirit. We are in union with Christ. We have everything we need in Christ Jesus. But in the mind, will, and emotion, the battle goes on. And there is a completeness. A completeness that must be affected by the rule of Christ. A completeness that must be activated by faith. A determination to say that my life and my reward is Jesus. That my determined purpose and my desire is based in Him. You see, in the soul, there is a a vast amount of ignorance and vacuum. It is because the soul is constantly tempered with the accusations, with the attractions, with the lust of this world. And with the body. So you know what? It's no small thing that Paul says, my determined purpose is to know Him, to be intimate with Him. Is Paul already a Christian at this point? Is he? Yes, he is. Do you think he's in union with Christ at that point? Yes, He is. Well, then what is He talking about? What intimacy is He talking about? What is He talking about in terms of living out that life? He is saying, I am determined at the base, at the core. I am determined that my soul will serve the Lord. That my mind will be renewed in truth. That my appetites will be unto Him and not unto this world. That my purpose will be in Christ, not in my flesh. That I will live according to what He He has put in me that my strength will be in Christ, that my provision will be in Christ, that my joy will be in Christ, that my future will be in Christ, that my hope will be in Christ. I am determined to go forward in Christ. I don't want the praise of men. I don't want what this world may bring to me. I want Jesus. What is your determination? With what are you filling your soul Deception has to begin in the mind. You know that. And when we choose to believe and trust in anything other than Jesus our Christ is our life, we're choosing to be deceived. You know the Christian has to choose to be deceived? It's right. Don't give yourself the pat on the back to say, well, you know, that Satan kind of led me. Satan didn't lead you anywhere. You decided to go and you went. That's the reality of it, you see. We have taken the truth of Christianity and we have so muddled it that we've got people coasting around on this idea that God is going to do it all. I'm going to sit back and rest and He is going to guide me into heaven and let's just pray that He comes in my hour of need. Is that the Christian life? Is that the abundant life? Do you know that we literally have to determine to live this life? Or we live in carnality, we live in duality. We have one rule in the soul and another in the spirit. We split ourselves right down the middle. You want to know why in in these communist countries, in these countries where there's persecution, you want to know why these people bother to show up? In the dark alleys, in the back places where they might be found out and killed? Do you want to know why Paul charges into the middle of the temple filled with the very people that hate and despise him, that just got through beating him with rods? Do you know why he wants to go forward? Do you see the motivation behind that? Man, we can't even get half the people here when it's raining. The motivation behind that is his heart for Christ, to know Him. He isn't worried about the body. He's following the truth of His Spirit. His reward is in Jesus. It's not in anything else. He's not impressing anybody by showing up. He's not about that. He's about being in the center of where God is moving and being obedient to the Spirit of God within him. He makes the hard choice. He determines to know Him. The cure for deception in the soul is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now that really sums up the completion of the soul. It sums up the Christian to guard the truth in the soul as the basis for our thinking, to appropriate it by faith in our behavior, and to live it out. That's what that is. This is what takes us from being as vulnerable as a child to deception, to being strong in the Lord and determined in our relationship with Him. Paul says the origin and motive for his message was not flesh. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the glad tidings, the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts, expecting them to be approved. Now, Paul brings a contrast between the motive of the flesh and the calling of God. And he tells the Thessalonians that he's been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Now, this is not performance based acceptance that he's talking about here. This is approving of faith and obedience. It is a faithfulness of God to present the gospel in power in every situation where Paul is called to minister. Paul has been approved as he will yield to the message within him. Paul was approved first as a child of God. He was approved second as a messenger of God. Paul was entrusted, that is, Paul was chosen by God, not because of his qualifications. God's choosing is never in the flesh of man. I wouldn't be here. God's choosing is never in the flesh of man. But his choosing is based on what is best for our knowing him and the work of his sovereign will. Paul recounts his calling in Acts chapter 26. If you look at Acts chapter 26, verse 16 and 18, Paul's speaking. And he speaks to them and he says, Jesus said to me, But arise and stand up upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, that I might appoint you to serve as my minister, and to bear witness both to what you have seen of me, and to that in which I will appear to you. Choosing you, selecting you for myself, and delivering you from among this Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may thus receive forgiveness and release from their sins, and a place and a portion among those who are consecrated and purified by faith in me. God came to Paul and God says, I appoint you. Now at that time, what had Paul done? Earn this appointment. When God meets Paul on the road and says, I've chosen you and I appoint you as my minister, what had Paul done to earn that appointment? Or to be approved? Not a thing. Not a thing. God chose him out of his sovereignty, God chose him out of his will. God chose him out of, the, out of the vision of God who saw in Paul a child who would be faithful to the message that he would appoint him to. And you know what's interesting? He appoints Paul to the one area he's least qualified for, the ministry of the Gentiles. Paul was uniquely unqualified for the message that Christ appointed him to give, or for the people that he appointed him to preach to. That's a better way of putting it. See, this is not based in what Paul had. God says, I'm choosing you for myself. This is what I'm going to do through you. You see, it wasn't Paul's scheme. It wasn't Paul's plan. God chose him like God chose Abraham, like God chose Noah, like God chose Moses, like God chose you and every other Christian. Never based on the qualifications. He says to Noah, you'll build an ark. Well, what for? Well, at some point there's going to be rain. Well, what is rain? I know nothing of arcs. I know nothing of rain. I don't even know what a sea is. How? A flood? What's a flood? it wasn't qualified. He chose Abraham, old in years, very old in years, and says, you're going to birth a nation. Was Abraham qualified? He chose Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to go and declare to Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people, and you are going to bring to them my word and my law. Well, I can barely say my name before you. I can barely speak. Can't we get somebody else to talk? Moses wasn't qualified. And then he chose you. Have you disqualified yourself for what he has for you? Have you been listening to the accuser? Have you decided that maybe you don't have value? That maybe your value is second best or less than what it could be or should be? What is the truth? What is it? that He has chosen you, that He has a plan for you, that He put a plan together that is perfect for you, not because of your qualification, but because of what He is going to affect through His life in you. And He chose you because He loves you. He loves you.
1: Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m at 7015 Wurzbach Road If you would like to help support this ministry send your tax deductible donation to His Life Ministries P.O. Box 1894 Burney, Texas 78006 And finally, this coming week our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember wherever you go, whatever you do the hope of glory is Christ in you.